I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch... We love to watch Mr. Bean be picky about his sexual partners. problem for this guy now um yeah this is a movie for children about um to let you know that mr bean is a sexual creature who likes to fuck <laughs> that <laughs> might be bean what is bean is about liberated in sexually in a way you'll never be yeah <laughs> he doesn't have to say anything during it yeah. um oh you oh you're into fisting <laughs> oh you're into fisting mr bean is into sculling yeah, where he, he puts his entire skull up an anus <laughs> I know this because he did it to a turkey. Yeah, it's the only part of that movie I remember, except that I hated it. Uh, but Peter, what is this? Where we love to watch a movie podcast, pick a theme, we do movies over the course of the month around that theme. If we remember, we compare and contrast. We're in our first week of what will potentially be four weeks of kids horror movies, which is a theme that we've talked about on our Spooktober recaps and a bunch of other reasons. I have kids, for example, which is a big reason I watch a lot of kid horror movies. I've, we've done themes of it for our Spooktober list, and it felt like something that would be a lot of fun to do, because there are like, there's obviously movies that you show your kids that are like, this is an adult horror movie, but I think they can handle it, or a non-scary horror movie that a kid can enjoy. But what we're trying to get at this month is specifically horror movies that obviously adults can enjoy, but are aimed at kids while also being scary. And those lists are actually really long. If you go and find this fucking scariest movies you saw when you were a kid, if you're an 80s or 90s child, you're going to find a bunch of stuff on the, those lists that are scary that aren't technically horror movies. Some of them we've covered, like Return to Oz. Return to Oz is a terrifying movie, not technically a horror movie <laughs> it per se. Stuff like The Secret of Nim. Like, everyone talks about, oh, that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Not, I mean, it's not technically a horror movie. Uh, it's about some nice nice mice who are trying to, uh, one, one mouse in particular is trying to uh, figure out her place in the world after her husband died. I don't know if it's a kind of a weird theme for a kid movie, but it's definitely not a horror movie. These are very specifically horror movies aimed at kids that I think not only are enjoyable for adults, but also legitimately scary in parts. And uh, those four movies, which are starting today with The Witches, um, Nicholas Rogue's uh, movie, 1990 movie based on the book by uh, an author I don't think we've ever covered. Uh, I don't think we've ever done a Roald Dahl uh, adaptation, even though he obviously has... Uh, a lot of adaptations that are very worthwhile, and uh, I've read a lot of his books, including very recently, uh, a couple years ago when Maya and I were going through a box set that we bought. Uh, so I might talk a little bit about the book. But yeah, uh, we haven't done one. I'm excited to do this one. This was a Spooktober first time watch for me like five or six years ago, so not one I grew up with as a kid. Then we're going to do Coraline. Which is probably my favorite. I mean, that's still a movie that I count as one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it is. I've seen it as much as any movie in the last 
10 years because both of my oldest kids have been obsessed with it at various times. If I legitimately logged it every time it was on Letterboxd in my house, it would be 100 plus views. And I think it's still one of my most watched movies just based on times I actually watched and paid attention for the whole thing uh, with them. We're doing Something Wicked This Way Comes, which is a little hard to watch. Uh, not hard to watch in that it's difficult. It's not fucking hostile, too. It's just a little hard to find. I think Peter and I both bought the DVDs of it uh, a few years. But uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, the Ray Bradbury adaptation that was a Disney Channel movie. or It wasn't a Disney Channel movie. It was a Disney movie in the 80s when they were kind of unmoored before Little Mermaid and releasing stuff that everyone forgot about. And now we're going to wrap up. a thumb over the content that they could produce. And they made something that a lot of people remember as the scariest movie they saw in their childhood. Yeah. And then we're going to end with uh, Goosebumps, which is a more recent movie, legitimately scary. And we're going to do it. We're going to kind of cover Goosebumps as a concept. We're going to talk about the movies. We're going to talk about the TV show. We're going to talk about the books. And as I said last week in our Spooktober kickoff episode, uh, if we're talking about kids' horror movie, I can't think of a series that has done more in the last 30 years to get kids interested in horror um, as as Goosebumps. They were – they felt like contraband uh, and taboo to me. They were so scary. I used to hide them under my bed uh, before I knew that you could hide more useful things like pornography magazines under there. Uh, so my parents wouldn't find it. Like that and scary stories to tell in the dark were like the most formative things that I experienced horror-wise – when I was a younger kid, the thing about Scary Stories to Tell Dark, which is great and a movie we should absolutely cover on the show, that movie is scary as shit. It is not aimed at kids at all. No. Um, no. And even the books, I think, I can't believe that's like, hey, at the book fair, read about this stuff, kids. Like, Goosebumps was both scary, but really, like, as I've went and reread Goosebumps books with my kids – and reread Scary Stories to Tell the Dark as a kid. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, I could read in the same way you can read, like, um, Shel Silverstein as an adult and get something out of it at, without kids being around. Because it's scary, um, but it's, 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 it, you know, it's written where a kid can understand and adults can get a lot of it out of it. The Goosebumps book are, as an adult, I see all of the tropes. I see, like, every time on this page, like, you see all the strings, um, and they are fun to read with my kids, but not... But they are so clearly aimed directly and for kids who have never read a Stephen King book or anything else. So, I think we have and a... And they're trying to literally introduce kids to these concepts. Yeah. So, a little... That amazing feeling when you're a kid and you pick up on something that's being foreshadowed. <laughs> yeah. Um... R.L. Stein wants to jab you in the ribs and say, I was foreshadowing. I'm foreshadowing something. Pay attention. Pay attention to this uh, weird closet in Grandma's house or whatever. Well, yeah, and I never watched Twilight Zone. So the idea of these movies ending with these totally redefining twists or unexpected things, like, they're super tropey, but... Those were tropes I didn't know that they existed when I was nine years old. And, like, holy cow, this camp that's... Well, all these scary things are happening is because they're an alien planet and there are aliens coming to Earth to explore. Like, you know, those kind of last page reveals in the books were formulaic, but also always left me like, holy shit, because people didn't always end up in the best place, which was rare for even the scary stuff I watched as a kid's 
when you're a kid, and even this, these are tropes that even my oldest, uh, Maya, as we started watching more adult horror movies, one of the things she started appreciating is that people don't always end up okay. Because she was, as someone who watched a lot of media, as a, you know, for a kid, because she's, you know, my kid, and I watch a lot of media, and I share it with her, uh, she started to notice that, like, oh, yeah, scary things will happen or bad things will happen, but everyone ends up okay in the end. And the Goosebumps books, they didn't always. And so that was always, like, felt dangerous in a way. But we'll talk more about that, hopefully. Also, we are uh, we are running up against a major event in Peter's life that he shared on the last episode, expecting the first little Moran. And so we are bumped. We tried to pre-record more than we, we got to. So we're going to try to get all those four episodes in before we take a break. If we don't, we'll come back and we'll fill the holes. We'll fill all your dirty holes specifically related to episode slots that we didn't get to dirty because we didn't clean up after ourselves and fill the hole um and slots because you know that's we slot an episode in that's not dirty oh okay never mind that's just how you that's just how you schedule that's radio talk peter um so but we're also going to try to do some mini episodes and uh, in that some of these episodes may not be that long. I think Peter and I were joking. We'll probably talk about Coraline for approximately nine hours. I think this and Something Wicked This Way Comes will be shorter episodes. Not because this is a bad movie. This is a great movie. It's slight. It has basically like three things that happen. They spend a lot of time on those three things. And and then that's that's kind of it. So you basically have like three set pieces to talk about. We're talking about it, but it's not it's it's barely 90 minutes. And uh, what's so funny is that, Peter, did you ever read this book? Actually, let's talk about this. I said I watched it for the first time six years ago. Had, did you watch this as a kid? Was this new to you? Uh, yeah, this is okay. uh, one of the reasons I wanted to start with this. Um, and one of the reasons that I think it's a good place to start um, is because I watched this as a kid. And I remember all the ooey gooey um, special effects freaking me out as a kid. And this being one of those movies that I was allowed to watch, but kind of lit a little bit of a horror fire under me, even though I, at that time I had already seen some already fucked up shit because of my older brother. If we're talking about Roald Dahl, I, I read so much Roald Dahl as a kid. I don't have a tremendously good memory for these things, so I don't remember if I loved the book or not as a kid, but absolutely read this, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, BFG. I, I don't think I read Matilda. But I read so many of these as a kid. And I adore, to this day, I adore the Matilda adaptation. It's a, it's one it's, of the it's, best children's uh, movies. Yeah, I've watched that one a ton of times. Like I said, Maya especially got really into Roll Tell. We were reading all, we read probably about five or six of the books ultimately. Uh, and even now, and I don't have the heart to tell her it's going to be terrible. But every time we go to the movie theater and she sees that Wonka trailer, she's like, we got to go see that. So I don't know how to tell her that it's bad and people are rightly, uh, but we're going to, I will go take her to see it and I will not expose her to film Twitter's whatever takes on it. But yeah, she, she loved these books. And I mean, there's a reason why, like, it's not probably unique perspective, but like why roll doll books are so great for kids because they don't talk down to kids, right? There's they they talk about adults in a way that kids think about adults. They don't portray all adults as like, smart people that you need to respect like a lot of kids books at that age they recognize that like sometimes adults can be shitty or mean to kids they have a a different perspective on the world um that i think a lot of equivalent children's authors or at least a lot of the stuff that your parents end up giving you because 
Like, yeah, we you read Tom Sawyer or something like that, but, like, Tom Sawyer's a little shit, and the parents are trying their best to deal with a little shit. And you may go, I love this little shit. This little shit's getting into adventures, but he's still a little shit. And in Roald Dahl's books, it was like, hey, what if all the adults are little shits, and the kids are the only, like, moral people in the universe, and... Uh, there's a bunch of like they're innocent and they're nice and they're empathetic and they're surrounded by selfish, narcissistic, uh, you know, people that uh, don't actually care about kids, but have been put in positions of power over kids. And spoiler alert, that is somewhat true of a lot of life as well. Like the idea that the kids are the bad guys in our world, like a lot of, and the adults are these smart, respectful or parents or teachers are like many of them are but if you've existed in the world both as a kid and an adult you know that he was tapping into something that just rarely got touched on and so i'm not i'm not surprised that my daughter ended up both loving a lot of the books and loving a lot of the adaptations sadly um my reading those to my daughter was the first time i had read almost all of them the only one i read as a kid and i think it's because we read it when i was in fourth or fifth grade was james and the giant peach which i loved but it just wasn't like a thing. My parents didn't read Roald Dahl, and I watched. Um, I think the only two movies I ever watched. I saw James and the Giant Peach in the theaters, but we didn't see Matilda, and I didn't see The Witches. I saw like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory at a sleepover in the second grade, but like that was about my exposure, and I liked everything. I just like no one in my life as was pushing you should read these books and so i just i i never got to them so i didn't see this for the first time until about six years ago when i was doing a kids horror spooktober thing uh and i loved it it's really good it's really good yeah i uh yeah i, I read my parent or my mom and my older siblings all loved roll doll so i i got a bunch of beaten and worn copies that i think my niece now has which is pretty yeah. sweet um and uh I I, lo- I loved them as a kid. Yeah, exactly. For the reasons you're talking about, that they don't they don't talk down to kids, and they don't engage very often in this obvious moralizing that a lot of the books yep. would engage in. The interesting thing about his stories, not only one, they put children in mortal danger, and yep. the children do not always make it out of it. I yep. mean, it's a, it's a me- it's a meme joke about uh, Willy Wonka that he kills a bunch of children <laughs> for their sins. Right. What's interesting? Like, wh- so what's interesting is that in the movie. I feel like they kill those kids. In the book, those kids yeah. very explicitly get out just fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they're put in they're put in like Mortal you know, danger, danger and, and stuff. Well, BFG the, and is about like a, a giant that eats kids. Sorry, yeah. It's about a bunch of giants that eats ki- eat kids, yeah. and I think the kid becomes friends with the only giant who doesn't have a taste for kids, yeah. right? Yeah. Um like there's a bunch of the bunch of the stories are about character like monsters and strange people who put kids into mortal danger this story is explicitly about trying to kill every child in england yeah um, and well and and uh, the kids parents die which happens yes. in, the, in the book and everything else as well so like yeah it is i every time i watch this which is now like four or five times because i watched it on my own i watched a couple times in my every single time i'm like all right they kill this fucking kid's parents in the, There's like a prologue where they dispense with them, yeah. like a lot of kids' movies. Um, what well, sometimes it's like, hey, you know, your their kid, your parents died off screen, and I yes. live with my grandma for some reason, and that's because they're just such a non presence. And also, he ha- like he handles the death of his parents extraordinarily well. 
He's like, Grandma's like, like Grandma. we're going to, we're going on a vacation to England. And he's like, all right, well, some fresh air would do me good. What with the death of my parents at all? Yeah, yeah. And he, and they, uh, Nicholas Rogue um, communicates that the parents are in danger in a way that an adult, a, a filmmaker like Nicholas Rogue would communicate that. Which is, we get a shot of them getting in the car. But he's following them with a handy cam, yeah. and there's like a shaky shot of them getting into the car, and then it cuts away, and you're like, "They're not gonna make it home, are mm-hmm. they?" Like it, it leaves that sense of unease in you, the way that like the guy who made Walkabout would, <laughs> not the way that yeah. um, Robert Zemeckis would, you know, whatever yeah. forty years, or th- oh. thirty years later. Yeah. Um. But so, and the other piece that I really liked about Roald Dahl, um, is that. A lot of children's authors, it's it's coming off of what you're saying. A lot of children's authors want to welcome you to the world of creativity and storytelling and imagine it and imagination and using your your insight with this way where they're like putting their hands on your shoulders and very paternalistically like guiding you through every single story beat and holding your hands and only using the most accessible language and not making you feel uncomfortable with weird, you know, loose threads and and, and instead like kids entire existence is this sort of uncertainty of what's going on and them having to pretend that they're with the program right like kids are constantly just picking up on context clues that's why it's a whole thing with like kids like laughing at jokes they don't understand because they're like oh socially everyone is laughing yeah and i want to give that a try like that is that is existence as a kid is not knowing what's going on and to have a piece of me, I'm not saying all their media needs to be alienating, but to have a me- piece of media that is like, I want to tell you a fantastical story. I've got a great hook for you that's going to make you want to see the end, but um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change my language. I'm not gonna like you know talk down to you. Uh, that's and that's a, it's a really great point. Like why the why those books appeal to kids. Yeah. It felt weird when I was a kid. It felt weird. They felt different. They yeah. did not feel, and not in a way that felt like they were like, I don't know, like, not in a way that felt um, um, too self-conscious. Like, it was like, you know, I need to throw in a bunch of hooky-kooky details. Like, instead, it's like, it feels weird in a genuine sense. Like, this is a different world from ours just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, consistently like that. So, you know, we're having, I haven't read all of his books, but reading a lot of them, he just like kind of does hit after hit of like this slightly askew fantasy world that kids would love to live with populated by like these sort of ugly type people that kids are trying to navigate without, with while feeling powerless and not really sure you're right. Like, I don't quite understand why this person's being mean to me. It seems odd or I don't I don't have the power to do anything. And a lot of times finding the power to succeed, which is, of course, like that's the kid fantasy, right? Kid fantasy is not only am I going to be right and the adults wrong, but I'm going to, you know, show them. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to become the person that's powerful. So you have, you know, the kid in here who defeats the witches. You have, you know, Willy Wonka. You're not Willy with Charlie. A Buckets who ends up, you know, inheriting the chocolate factory of James who ends up, you know, hanging out with all of his bug friends for a long time. Like, you have this, like, 
series of successes that kids still get to while also recognizing that the world is not a safe place both emotionally or financially or physically for them which is again something that kids inherently know where you have this weird dichotomy of parents telling you like stuff like hey just to let you know if you ever say hi to a stranger they will murder you but also you're safe don't even worry about it like you know everything's safe of course nothing bad's gonna happen to you they just live in this like world where both everything is a danger and nothing is a danger and nothing is consistent and that's part of like unfortunately the 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 challenge of trying to communicate like don't take candy from a stranger to a four or five year old but the same note it just makes the world very confusing am i safe or am i not safe why can i talk to this person that i don't know that you're talking to that but i can't talk to someone that just says hi to me on the street or something like that and so i think roll doll really captures that uh, there's two things that's worth talking about Roald Dahl, though, that are kind of the, the trigger warnings of him that I – one of them I know by reputation as a person uh, and another one I know from reading his books and uh, yes, that's right, Free Speech Patrol or Cancel Patrol. I do censor some of it for – as I read it to my kids. I don't know if the books themselves should be censored. I, 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 I would not support that. But uh, Roald Dahl hates uh, – overweight people (laughs) every one of his books uh he doesn't just call people fat uh he spends time uh linking weight with like laziness and evilness and something like that too it is or like um uh, intellectual dullness like yeah Yeah, it is the person is fat they're not very introspective and they're not very intelligent it is a pervasive part of his books that is in every single one that i read and a way to easily signify that uh overweight fat whatever obese whatever you want to call it is a makes them not just a differently bodied person than you but a bad person because they always have all these other as you noted unkind characteristics so like that sucks it is something that you know you have to have a lot of com you can either read it to your kids or have the long conversations with them but it is there's not a roll doll book where it's like there's not a paragraph describing how disgusting someone is because they're overweight. And the second one is in real life. I, I, I'm not educated enough about this to know if it comes up in the books. I didn't notice it explicitly in anything that I read. But sometimes I'm, I miss those illusions. I would trust anyone who knows more than me that says th- this is where it is in those books. But he was also apparently uh, anti-Semitic quite a bit in real life. Um, so, uh, so yeah, a couple things just to note about him. I don't want to pass over this. Doesn't excuse him that he made, wrote good books and good stories. Um, but you know, it is when you read stuff like Louis Sicar or something like that with kids, which is also weird and wonderful without those like asterisks, it always feels a little better than, than reading the books with the asterisks that like, and again, cultural context and context of the time or just the fact that, hey, sometimes terrible people or somewhat shitty people or people with shitty views can make uh, good art. Is a, It's a challenging concept for adults to sometimes get their head around um, and, and know what to do with it. I don't always know what to do with that. Um, you kind of make – we've talked about this before. You kind of make your own choices on how that falls. Easier oh, – in my opinion – Peter, we've talked about this quite a lot with H.P. Lovecraft. Easier when they're dead to, to say it doesn't... Oh, they're not getting a penny about yeah. that for this? 
Oh, okay. But, now we can have a conversation. But obviously, that's hard. That's hard for kid. You also don't want your kid to be like, "Hey, I read so much Roll Doll. I associate anyone who is weighs more than me as a bad person because kids are highly impressionable as well." So worth noting, at least as we get into this as well. Yeah, uh, it's 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 good to note. Um, I'd like to leave it at that. Yeah. Um, especially because you've read the books more recently than me. I think it's it's. Uh, I don't have much to add there, but I do want to add. The other reason I think this is a great introduction to the month is because this movie is, it's not the oldest movie we're covering this month, but it is a movie that I specifically, like, I know multiple people who are like, oh my god, the witch has quote-unquote traumatized me. Yeah. And people are using hyperbolic language, obviously, but, like, um, this is a movie that has real kinder trauma for a lot of people, and I feel like that's a good place to start with the conversation that I want to have all month a little bit, which is, like, okay... You're open to the idea of your kids watching scary stuff and you enjoying a little bit of that fear with them. All right. Mm-hmm. Where do you start? Where do you draw the line? How do you know what's fun terror versus what's um, anxiety inducing terror? Is one nightmare fine, but five nightmares <laughs> yeah. bad? What matters with that when you've already shown them the movie and you can't stop the nightmares? Um, yeah. I, I I think it's an interesting conversation to have. I'm someone that does not have kids, but is about to have a kid. Yeah. Um, actually, by the time this episode is out, I will have a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Um, if if, if, if the baby's not out yet, just throw away all the zero to three month clothes. A week out, they're <laughs> not going to fit. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the question is definitely like pointed at you a little bit because you have two kids that you've you've exposed to a lot of horror stuff yeah. one of them seems unflappable i've watched at least one horror movie with your you child. watch you watch uh, prey with maya when she was eight just turned eight um yeah. and it, sh- and and i one thing as you noticed that i did with her i read all of the things that were gonna happen like i went to like a parent's website common sense media if you think it's associated with christians because uh, it sounds like it is it's not it's actually great it gives great ratings about like this is yes this has some stuff to talk to your kid about but like it deals positively with trans issues it's common sense media is a great website i hate that they paywall their reviews after a few now but i get everyone needs to somehow make money worth investing uh imdb's parents guide is less helpful but still can get some some high level stuff but yeah, one thing I would I, I do with her sometimes, and especially when we watch Prey, which is one of her first like gory R.A. movies, I'm like, I read to her, here's the thing, you're going to see someone's eyeballs get ripped off. You're going to see someone's, you know, get cut in half. And like, are you okay with that stuff? And, and you can stop. And as you saw when we watched the movie with her, she didn't take those things as things to be nervous about. It was like a checklist. She's like, well, there's the eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> ripped off. She's like, I don't want to miss any of the things I just heard about. But yeah, she is. She it's not that movies in the moment have never scared her, but she likes it. She wants to be scared. She wants to jump. She wants to have to cover her eyes. We've watched a lot in the last year, even from that. I have pushed the limit a few times where I felt like I was going to pay the price, um, and I have not. Um, that includes like. The uh, the paranormal activity movies. Um, I'm trying to because those scare me still. Paranormal yeah, I mean, movies, like as an adult, they scare me. We're watching movies that I am jumping at too, and she'll be like, "Did you jump too?" Yeah, I jumped at that part. Like, um, oh, I forgot you watched Missing. <laughs> that's a different kind like, of scary, but like the, the western. No, the one that's kind of like a quasi sequel to Searching. 
I completely forgot that existed. It's got good. it. Got oh, it. where it's like someone's parents get abducted. Yeah, or it's good. Someone's mom gets abducted. It's good. Uh, so she watched. She watched Deadstream with me because uh, I thought she would like it because it's the YouTube thing she loves. I mean, she's a nine-year-old girl. She loves YouTube. Um, hacks. She loves them. Deadstream is, I said, was one of my favorite movies from last October because it was a movie that scared me the most, and she was pretty unflappable throughout it. Um, she watched Oiji Origin of Evil with me this year, Ready or Not, Nope, Spontaneous, uh, the three paranormal activity movies, A Smile. I forgot you watched Smile. Slashback, Aliens. Smile seems pretty intense for her. Well, I, I got her good because at the end of the movie, she, she turned to me to start talking to me and I, I made the smile face and she jumped like three feet of the air and then she could not stop. Yeah, that face. We, hard to do on a podcast. But she could not stop laughing. She told all her friends about it. She's like, that was the good. That's the best. She still talks about it as the best prank I've ever pulled. You <laughs> <laughs> um, saw the uh, first two Alien movies, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Megan, Escape Room, Crawl, uh, Quiet Place. I mean, Quiet Place. So, like, we really got – she was like, try to scare me. Try to watch movies that will scare me. And she loves it. And she's unflappable. Yep. She loves The Witches, by the way. She's seen it three times. Uh, we read the book together. She absolutely loves The Witches. When I told her I'd watched it for this podcast, and because we changed our schedule around, I didn't have time to watch it with her. She was bummed and was like, we got to watch that again soon. It's been it's been too long. Elliot, who's my five-year-old, who is te- like gets scared at, at a lot of things, which is, again, okay. This is not a competition. She's Elliot's a lot like when I, how I was as a kid. I was scared of everything. Could not – I. Had nightmares about Ghostbusters, even though I loved them. I couldn't watch it without getting scared. Took me all – I was like 10 years old when Jurassic Park came out. It was my favorite movie. It took me all 10 – all I saw it eight times in, in theaters. It took me till the eighth time to watch it all the way through without covering my eyes. Like I, I was not – it took me a while to not be scared of those sort of things. Maybe it's because my parents told me hell was real and that demons could come walk the earth. Who knows? Um, but I was also – I also still am scared of ghosts and demons more than any yeah. slasher thing because I grew up Catholic. Yeah. So Elliot, though, does get scared of things. And so we don't watch that many scary movies or even movies with scary parts. One day she was like – she loves Coraline. Was one of those movies that have kind of like passed through for her and she absolutely loves it. But Maya was watching it so much when she was two or three. I think she just like got used to it more than if I would have shown it for the first time when she was four or five, she would have loved it. But the important part here is that I did one day a couple months ago, she was actually like, I want to watch something scary. Maya watches scary things. I'm going into kindergarten. I can watch something scary. And I uh, serendipitously chose The Witches. And so we watched right up until a part that Angelica Houston takes her face off. And she said, hey, I don't want to watch this anymore. Let's watch something else. Um, and we did it. There's something else we watched was Spirited Away, which she loved and obviously has some definitely some scary moments that freaked her out a little bit. But this was when you're talking about like what's too much for a kid. The the two major scary scenes in this movie, which we'll talk about more, which is the witch reveal at the conference and the and the all of the mice transformations are incredibly intense. When I watched it for the first time a few years ago, I'm like, you know, this is that kind of practical effects Jim Henson magic that made something incredibly intense. Nicholas Rogue's directing it in a way that, like you said, is like fucking don't look now or or walkabout mm-hmm. level like 
it it does not in any way pull back for the horror of the situation. It feels like baby's first David Cronenberg movie or something in the how how visceral and terrifying these like transformations are. So she did try to watch The Witches. She really liked it. She thought it was cool. She liked the beginning like creepy stuff about the painting thing, which we'll we'll talk about as one kind of the big cool creepy moments. But she couldn't get through it. So. Uh, yeah, this is a, it, it, this is a, and I know you have you have nieces and nephews who I think you recommended this movie to, and they, it was too scary for them or they not? Uh, yeah my my one niece uh, did not watch this because she was remembers the book being scary oh. so she was just like I'm not doing it she is thirteen and is such a scaredy cat so like it is there is something in there I'm not saying it's genetic but there is something like in there that like happens with like certain kids have like no fear and certain kids are just like attached to or like they fixate on the fear in a way that like you know and i wanted to start with you talking about your kids because i think that that's a really interesting example child horror because like a you gotta listen to the kid like the kid's telling you it's too much you don't just like force it force it through you have to ratchet it up slowly over yeah, time. You can't just say, it's just a movie. What are you scared of? Or like other shitty boomer yes. things I think they, they did. Yeah. And then you end up in weird situations. And I'm, I'm glad that you recommended a site that helps with uh, like content warnings. Um, yeah. You end up in weird situations because you and I have talked about this a lot. But like, if you look up horror movies for kids, you get the same 10 movies. About five of them are actually attempting to be scary. Five of them are, like, hocus-pocus and shit. Yeah. And, like, uh, there's no, like, ratcheting up. Like, okay, you start here, you start here. You can go on Letterboxd and look up horror movies for kids. And people are just including the fucked up shit that they saw when they were eight. Yeah. Like, it's not actually a list of, like, I think this would probably be appropriate for the average American eight-year-old. They're like, oh, Carrie, that's fine, right? Like, there's just no... Yeah. <laughs> there's no connection between, like... Hey, we're we're starting here. That's starting that's at, that's true all the time. They'll be like, we're starting at the wedges. We're gonna go yeah. to Gremlins. Yeah. We're gonna work our way up. <laughs> like, there's no there's no like uh, clear di- like uh, ability for these movies to be ratcheted. And parents just kind of have to wing it. There's a lot of winging it, and yeah, those lists are. And IMDb has good, you know, has lists too. Letterbox has lists. They're very unreliable. I've looked up lists of like horror movies with no sex or sexual violence, um, and I'm I will look at them and I'm like, used Carrie. I think Carrie was one of them. I'm like, I wouldn't say Carrie has no or like Halloween. It's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Halloween's not gory. I'm pretty sure there's some sex in Halloween, bud. <laughs> like. Like, it, it is that kind of, like, I'm not going to these sites to confirm. I'm doing it for my memory. But I do that, too, right? Because, like, when I watched a horror movie 15 years ago, I didn't watch it from the perspective of, hey, can a kid who can handle scary uh, – can a 10-year-old who isn't ready to talk about sexual violence or see that portrayed on screen but is fine if someone's heart gets ripped out, like, um, you know – did that feature that? Is there an aside? Is there some stupid like, oh, it's a horror movie from 2007, so someone's getting railed for 30 seconds so that they get teenagers to like – like it's impossible to remember. So the sites are great. There is – if I can find it, I'll link it to here. I found someone who made an incredibly helpful three-part letterbox series that I used quite a bit, which is horror movies by ages. And it goes like you know, l- tier one, which is like – 
4 through 8, and then tier 2, which is like 9 to 12, and then like 13 to 16 that kind of covers some of that. And I used those lists quite a lot. They're not comprehensive. You know, it has like 40 or 50 movies for each one, but it's it's better it's better than like you said, either the list that are remembering Oh, my dad told me showed me Total Recall when I was seven. Sure, he had a terrible divorce and was drinking all day. But yeah, I was, <laughs> I was seven and I was I turned out fine. Uh, or just like yeah, the same like hey, you know, it's a scary movie, The Witches. Uh, so uh, yeah, I I I hope this helps and I hope we talk more about this because I I do think as as horror has kind of graduated in the last thirty years from like the 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 other of critical cinema. And I think stuff like Halloween has really like taken off on a holiday in a way that didn't, when we were kids, like, um, you know, whether it's like, like so much of Halloween becomes a a month long event. Even if you have kids, like it's, it's an event for us as, as adults who love watching horror movies. But like, you know, um, one of our friends just posted, like we took the trip to, um, spirit halloween it's like that can be a day out with your kids it's just go to the spirit halloween and stuff like that and get spooked by all the the setups of all the cool things and so uh yeah it's yeah i i i i think that that's a good prism to look at it and um i will have no perspective on something wicked this way comes because they haven't seen that uh but i have a lot to say on the other movies for them Um, yeah yeah and i i think that that's i think that's a good place to start it's something i want to keep coming back to this month because it's a question parents ask is like and there's a lot of like there's a lot of people that i know that still don't watch horror movies yeah and i was like did you like them as a kid they're like no they scared the shit out of me as a kid i hate them as a kid and I do think that part of it is like I watched horror movies as a kid, and I have been addicted to that feeling yeah. for forever. And then eventually, I got addicted to other aspects of the genre. I really like indie filmmakers, and like one of the ways that you can see how indie films are made all over the world is to watch horror movies, right? Like because they actually like export those, as opposed to like you want to watch a um, a drama about everyday life in Senegal, like. Good luck getting one of those movies on streaming. You want to watch a movie about guys chopping off zombie heads in Senegal? There's probably a couple on Amazon Prime right now, right? Yeah. Like, you get to see, you get to see, like, there's other aspects of the genre other than just pure fear factor that that, that attract people to, to it. And um, I don't know if I would still be such a huge nut for it. I don't know if this podcast would exist if, if... Um, I didn't hadn't watched them as a kid and had these very strong, very vivid reactions to yeah. a specific set of movies. Um, yeah. And I, I looked up this question. I was like, because I, I read some Psychology Today articles. I read some, you know, articles uh, in bad faith on like a Baptist website. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I, and I was like looking for an answer. I was like, is there any definitive proof that like you should not... Ex- purposely expose your kids to terror at a specific age in the psychology now they're like basically within range like all of us are exposed to ter- scary things but like maybe wait till they're five <laughs> like maybe wait till they're five to do it on purpose they need to be able to process the concept of like this isn't real and like yes you know and that that that's um that part's important. Um, but yeah, let's, before we actually get into kind of the, the plot, which is again, three or four set pieces, um, great set pieces. 
Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how this movie got made uh, and a couple of interesting things there. So um, this book was written in 1983. It's actually one of Roald Dahl's longest books. And this is a very, very faithful adaptation. Incredibly faithful. When we were reading the book, it was one of those books where it feels like um, – and this is actually true of a lot of Roald Dahl's adaptations. And mainly, like he just writes such good books that it's almost like, well, yeah, that's the screenplay. Like why add to it? Why take away from it too much? Like you're – in some ways, you almost feel like you're reading a novelization of the movie. They're very close. Um, sometimes it's – And children's books tend to be short. Which yeah, helps. this one's actually, like I said, very long. It's like I think it's the longest of the books we read. It's approaching four hundred pages. It's still like kid print pages, but it's you know, it's it's not it's not nothing. It's just a lot of these things go on longer. There's a lot more stories about like grandma fighting witches and stuff like that. The big difference, which caused a lot of fighting in this movie, is, about this movie, is the end. So the ending of the witches in the book, Peter. I don't know if you remember what it is. But so in, in the witches, he turns into a, a mouse. Him and his friend <laughs> Jenkins turn into mice. Um, in the book, they stay mice. They do not turn back into human at the end. And it is implied that while they have a lot of money, that they better make use of it and enjoy his mouse lifestyle because the lifespan of a mouse is about one to two years. So he does. He he will have a very comfortable life as a mouse. But he has been essentially sentenced to not being human anymore and a, a short life, which was kind of his point of the book. Again, very rolled doll ending. He did survive. He did defeat the witches, not without a cost for himself, a nine-year-old boy who just lost his parents. Um, and part of the and part of the like melancholy sadness of the ending is the beautiful melancholy yeah. sadness of the ending is that he lost his parents already. Right? He's living with his grandma. He loves his grandma so much. And, uh, and his grandma's sick. Discussions, and his grandma's sick. There's more discussions that the grandma's also reaching the end of the road. And the idea yeah. is that, uh, you know, he's not going to have to outlive his grandmother and lose the, the only remaining parent figure yeah. he has. Him and his grandmother can at least live out this last little chunk of life together. Which In is comfort. beautifully sad yeah. and would be a lovely sort of ending to a fantasy novel for a teenager or whatever. However, um, perhaps... In a um, f- fantasy children's movie uh, made by the Jim Henson Company, um, perhaps the children have been through enough through the course of the movie. Yeah, they also don't need to be left with this idea that you can get turned into a mouse and never come back. Yeah. So what's interesting is so Nicholas Rogue did shoot the initial that scene. Mm-hmm. He shot a, a happier and a lot more of them and a, and a lot like, more. So yeah. his barometer, which I, he didn't do test screenings, what I think is kind of brilliant is that he had a son who was about seven or eight at the time, and he just kept showing the cuts to his kid, who was the age that they were targeting. And he it's not that he didn't want him to be scared, but when it got too scary and he couldn't watch anymore, he would cut it out. So essentially, what you're watching is a movie that is the perfect level of scariness for Nicholas Rogue's eight-year-old son. <laughs> no more? No less. And that ending, which Nicholas Rogue said was beautiful and melancholy, and the first time he saw it, uh, cut into the movie and made him cry. He just recognized that that was too much for his son, 
and was probably too much for like what this movie was. So everything is essentially the same. At the end of this movie, instead of being a it, – it does feel tacked on. I don't think they found the perfect way to add it because one of the witches who was a little bit nicer and did not like the head witch shows up and through the glass turns them into human cut to cut to credits. Like, oh, never mind. I guess we won't have to live like mice anymore. I, I would th- argue she's not nicer. She just got uh, Angelica Houston just pissed her off. That's what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> she's and she's the only one that survived. So the, she just ends up being a night a, a magically nice witch in the end with absolutely no 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 track to get you. There. No one even knows that she came back to do anything. She gets out of her car, shoots something through the window through her finger, and and leaves. Uh, it's and, like they couldn't get all the actors back in the same room again. Something. It is. It. It's. Uh, like I said, I think you can do a better ending when they turn back into human. It does feel literally, like literally, literally tacked on to the, to the actual tacked over the actual end. Roald Dahl was furious about this because that was the point, as you know, as as his book, and he demanded that he took his his name off off the credits and obviously in 1990 as in the 70s or anything else Roald Dahl's name on the credits was that's the selling point right it's Roald Dahl's The Witches you liked Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory obviously whether it's James and the Giant Peach or BFG his name's all over Matilda his names are all over those movies um he wanted off the credits now the other person involved in this uh which is the last film he actively worked on before his death is one of our favorites Jim Henson. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Henson uh, called uh, called Roald Dahl and vociferously asked him to, you don't have to be happy about it, but please, please, here's why we did it. You don't have to agree with it. Please don't badmouth the movie or demand to take your name off the credits. And I'm not surprised to hear that Jim Henson, probably at least everything I know about, one of the most likable Men that has ever existed, unless you're directly his kids and feel like he didn't spend enough time with you. But otherwise, um, uh, um, one of the nicest men who've ever existed was able to co- convince notoriously curmudgeon Roald Dahl that, okay, I'll back off. Didn't help. This movie was not a success, although it was very critically uh, well-reviewed at the time it came out and has since developed again that that uh it's on every fucking list of show and it's not it's on our list it's on our it's our first movie we're covering because it gained it made a lot of its money and continues to make money as the hey this is a great fucking scary movie that's gonna scare the shit out of your kid but still be appropriate for your kid in a weird piece of kind of i don't want to say poetic like symmetry in a movie that was originally supposed to end with uh, two people coming to the end of their life and spending it together, uh, both Jim Henson and Roald Dahl died the year this movie came out mm-hmm. um, in 1990. So uh, it was the last thing they ev- ever worked on, both of them, the ever finished work of their stuff they saw, and they both died uh, later in the year that this came out in, in August, and they died in the fall of that year. So uh, I just, you know, obviously it's not a happy ending, but it's, you know, it's just, it's, the, it's poetic. It's poetic. I mean, the book is literally about two people. At yeah. The end that of mouse their didn't spending. die, but you two did. Yeah. So he got his ending where two people didn't have much time left together. Maybe Jim Henson, like a <laughs> curse happened somewhere in there where, all right, Jim Henson, we saved the cut, but not you, but not you. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of, it is kind of beautifully poetic and it is to note 
that Jim Henson is the reason this movie exists, like, entirely. Because yeah. he, basically, he, he loved Roald Dahl's stories, and at a su- at publication in 1983, yeah, um, seven years before this movie actually came out, um, he, uh, he optioned it immediately, he secured the rights, he tried a few different times to, like, get it done, and then the time was just right in the late 80s. Um, and so, but with, here's another weird thing here. All right, you're making a children's movie. Jim Henson's like, I'm not going to direct, actually. I'm going to back he away. He said he was never going to direct again after Labyrinth. He had a terrible experience. Yeah, he's like, so. I'm going to back away a little bit. I'm going to let someone else handle it. I'm going to be focused on the puppetry and stuff, and we'll talk about that. It's super impressive. The shots comparing the animal stunts compared to the puppets is, like, so seamless and so charming and beautiful. Where, like... Sometimes you're like, oh, the real mouse is doing this little bit of performance, and then he turns the corner, and then the puppet shows. It's it's adorable. Um, yeah. But the point is, Nicholas Rogue is a very strange choice for this. Um, yes. And I think it really demonstrates the vision of, of a guy like Jim Henson, right? So not just was he a strange choice, because his movies are almost very adult. They are unconventionally edited. Um, they're shot very beautifully and ornately. He can sometimes be a bit of a, a strong, uh, a strong voice in, in the, in, in the production of movies like David Lean famously fired him. <laughs> and, uh, he, uh, he's one of those guys that like made a few hits, became a famous name. Like if you're a film dork, you know, Nicholas Rogue's name and it's yeah. not just for one movie. And then he had a string of bombs in the 80s. He was coming off a string of bombs. And then it was like, do you want to make a children's movie yeah. by a very famous Jim Henson, but a very famous Roald Dahl, and you're going to have a, a decent enough budget for special effects. And this is a beloved book, like most of Roald Dahl's books are. And uh, you want to give this a crack? Like, it, it is an ingenious choice on Jim Henson's part. Yeah. However, a choice that, like, who makes that one? Like I know. Well, I mean, it'd be like I feel like. Here's an example. Here's an example. Te- uh, Lynn Ramsey. Um, she bombs a couple times. She makes a couple. I don't know. Forty million dollar movies that bomb. She doesn't work much. And then Peter Jackson decides you're going to direct the witches. I'm not going to come up with a new example for it. You're going to direct a witches remake to Lynn Ramsey, like. Someone who's known for, like, strange editing and pacing yeah. and very ethereal sort of filmmaking I mean, that's, like, haunting. I do wish that more adult movie directors made children's movies because I think the example... Like, you have, like, Del Toro's the ultimate example, right? Like, when he's done children's movies, they've been amazing. There's a lot of the other ones. Like, the problem is, is that they're, like, kids will watch anything and they get hacked directors or something like that to make their movie... And I think there was like, production, the guys yeah. behind the camera aren't that inspired. There's no producer like Jim Henson trying to inspire them. Yeah. So it's, I, I do think more like people with a vision or like Spike Jones, where the wild things are, which is a movie not really aimed at kids. It's a movie about childhood for adults. Uh, and my two attempts to watch with um, Maya, where even I got bored watching with her, not because I don't love that movie, but because I'm like, she's, why would she get anything from this? This is a waste of time. Even though she liked the book. Um, you know, I, I'll watch this with her when she's 25. Um, the book that's like 30 pages. Yeah, the book is 30 <laughs> pages and 100 words. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, 
the two times I remember, and I I watched it with her when I was like five and I felt bad. I'm like, well, you know what? Let's watch something else. And then I tried this summer again to watch it with her, and I'm like, do you want to watch something else? Because I just like cannot imagine this is fun for you in any capacity. It was a um, movie made for grumpy teens. Grumpy teens, and I I do think it's a it's a movie about childhood made for adults. It is definitely not for. Uh, yeah, like, it joke. certainly was not for me when I watched it. Yeah, uh, it's a great movie, but but I do think like having these like a, a directors, but uh, a, that are have a perspective a, adapt true kids movies is I wish more people do it. Steven Spielberg has made a lot of movies that are ostensibly for for children, um, and he does a good job because he has a craft and a vision and everything else. And Del Toro is a really good example. His Pinocchio movie, which I haven't seen, is I'm not surprised it's universally well regarded because so he. Good. He's a fantastic director that sometimes has made uh, more kid-leaning movies. Um, let's quickly talk uh, about – have you seen the remake? No, dude. Has, does anyone on Earth like it? I didn't look this up. No one on Earth likes it. My kids didn't like it. Uh, by my kids, Maya. Only Maya watched it. She was so fucking excited for it. Like, she loved the book. Yeah. She was so excited for it. And she – like was like oh I like I mean it's you know she was probably seven when it came out I think it came out in twenty twenty one when you have a kid who's watching something that's obviously more modern which just the filming the filming techniques they gravitate more towards in the way that we did too like oh that feels old even with the advent of Blu Ray there is like the movies still feel old even for younger kids and I think there's like a barrier they sometimes sometimes need to come over this one you know is fast and flashy and Anne Hathaway my daughter loves. It is it is miserable. Like I, people have been making how, fun of how far Zemeckis has fallen for like a decade plus now. It is amazing that he's still able to find new pits. I haven't seen that new Pinocchio adaptation, but in a in a remake, the live action Disney movie that like is filled with at best passable entertainment for a child that got like brutally like scathing reviewed and no children liked it and no one watched it. Like how is he making such bad movies? At least when he was making bad movies 15 years ago, you're like, yeah, he's trying to invent a new way to make computer technology. Now he's like just dumping shit out every couple of years in a way that makes no perspective, no sense. I, I, it's brutal. I, I can. It's so bad. Mars needs moms because it's one of the funniest titles that's ever been put on a major mm. Hollywood movie. It's it's yeah. an amazing title. It's a great punchline title. It's a good pocket title. It's also becoming less and less a good pocket title because no one remembers that movie. No. That is a movie I have a hard time actually making fun of because he thought he was making his avatar. He's like, we're going to take, you know what, whether or not people love this movie, we're going to take this technology so far forward that it's the ripples are going to be felt for years and years and years the way that avatar has, yeah. has, uh, has happened. The, I didn't watch the movie. Yes. Because Zemeckis has really crossed some sort of Rubicon of shit that I just can't, I, I, I can't abide. Um, yeah. But I was like, I looked at the cast. I watched the trailer. Yeah. Like, you never know. You never know from these kids' movies if they're going to be completely shit until you watch them. Because they all cut these trailers that look like CGI gloop. And they all have good casts. And they all, like, <laughs> like I don't know. Is the new Haunted Mansion movie good or not? It's got a great cast. I mean, the old one Some wasn't the good. look cool. Can only go up. 
<laughs> I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure it's better than that, and yeah. then worse than whatever Del Toro was trying to do for ten years, but Disney wouldn't let him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought I mentioned it. I would not recommend seeing it. It is brutally bad in a in a in a with a talent both uh, in front of the camera, and behind it that should have made it passable, at least. More like unnecessary, but passable should have been that. And instead, it is. Uh, it's just terrible. It's really, yeah. really bad. I don't remember if they stick with the original ending because I don't care. But um, and there's no way. Uh, anyway, uh, Peter, let's do it. Let's get into the bitches. I'm a bitch. <laughs> So, we've already talked a lot about this, and when I say there's like four or five set pieces in this movie, there there really is. It is a amazing movie. It's incredibly slight. Let's just quickly go through it. So, the opening scene, the first 20 minutes of the movie is this kid uh, with his who's being watched. He lives in America. He's being watched by his grandma from England while his parents go on a date. His grandma tells him the story that witches are real. And she's encountered witches when she was a kid. And they go through the stuff and they do this in the book as well of, of the ways that you can know it's a witch. They spend way more time on it in the book. But like, hey, you know, they wear masks and they you'll you'll notice that they don't have toes. And like, so they'll be wearing shoes that kind of cut off and all these different like signs that you can find a witch. And she tells this incredibly creepy story incredibly creepy story that I still think as an adult, Peter, maybe like conceptually the scariest part of this movie that I love of a kid that she knew when she was in, um, a kid, the grandma who crossed a witch and got cursed into a painting. Uh, and they looked for the girl for a long time. They could never find her. And then they started noticing the girl in the painting was moving, growing old, and eventually disappeared out of the painting, dying. <laughs> um, it is su- like I don't know if that maybe that was done. That sounds like a Rod Sterling thing. It sounds like something that's been done before. Regardless, the way they depict that painting and the girl sadly looking in different painting spots, I like it's not as viscerally scaring as some things that come later. But like that's a terrifying story, and it's something that both of my kids were like, wait. What? Like, the idea of being trapped in a painting, having some existence that you can't even fathom, and then eventually dying in the painting and disappearing from it. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. You're trapped in a special uh, watercolor hell. Um, I I think that the opening sequence really lays out... Without this opening sequence, the rest of the movie doesn't work. Yeah. One, this movie does rely on terror. So yep. they need to tell you at least one story of a kid not getting away from the witches. Yeah. Um, to let you know that they have sort of unfathomable Stakes power. Stakes are real. Yep. And they've been around a long time. And the grandmother lost a fucking finger to them. Yep. Um, 
And uh, showing you a little bit of gore at the beginning. Well, not gore, but, you know, like, somebody that has been harmed bodily with a little bit of a prosthetic effect is a really smart way to set up the stakes of this movie. Um, I want to talk about uh, Grandma a little bit. Sure. Um, Grandma is uh, a Swedish actress and director um, named Mai Zetterling. She's amazing. She's the reason why I'm kind of sad this movie has a happy ending is because one of the final shots would have been her laying in bed, reflecting on the fact that she's going to maybe outlive her mouse grandson. And she and and she has water welling in her eyes and she has this like beautiful line. And it's it's, it's nice when they handle they have like a real actor doing this shit. Because, like, the grandma doesn't play every line as the sweet, loving, you know, grandmother. She plays every line as a compassionate listener. And somebody who, like, cares about the needs of the child first, but in a way that's like, we're partners in this. We are raising you together, and you're keeping me in the best version of myself. Yeah. Like, it's it's just such a beautiful on-screen, like, friendship between Mm -hmm. a grandmother and a son in a way that you're like... It's not this creepy authoritarian thing. It's not this unreal. It's not unrealistic. It's a very believable. Yeah. Cause it's some like the grandmother we all wish we had, which is like yeah. creepy stories. But when it's time for like cookies or whatever, she's like, I already made them. They're already set, bud. Yeah. As someone who's, <laughs> whose kids has abs. Yeah. As someone whose kids have a great one, really great grandma who, I mean, they do end up having like a collaborative friendship. Like they call each other to talk and scheme and like, you know, they're not like, my my uh my mother-in-law my kid's grandmother it's not like they are quick to even when she's watching when they do something wrong it's almost like a secret between them like they're on the same team and even though one has different responsibilities than the other like it, it's a uh, it's yeah it wasn't the case of my grand- grandparents i'm glad my kids no. my kids have uh my kids have that but yeah great scene um parents die not great again kid gets over not great really quickly um one of the things about showing one shot of these non-actors and then you're like all right see ya bye uh one of the things that my daughter has called this out many times um you watch enough movies that are aimed at kids or teens there's two things you learn one parents die very easily and two dads are assholes (laughs) um they're such dickheads maya at one point asked was like hey Dad, why are why is every dad in a movie mean to their kids? Like I don't, I don't know. It's misandry. It's, li- it's literally generational. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. It's like it's hey, literally like there's a there's a generation of dads that were taught that like you're supposed to be stern and authoritarian with your children, and you're supposed to be sensitive when a pet dies. And yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, tough, tough, firm upper lip. She, he, uh, so Luke is the kid's name. Uh, Helga's grandson. Uh, he is playing outside in a tree. When a now that he knows to recognize the signs, a witch comes up to him. And uh, the thing about a witch is once a winch has your scent and knows there's a little kid in the area, they will relentlessly pursue you. Um, they are basically like the it follows creature except for <laughs> eating children. Um, so he, this witch tries to get Luke to come out of the tree, offers him a pet snake. And other things, but Luke knows the signs of what a witch is and calls for his grandmother, and the witch runs away. And his grandmother, knowing how dangerous it is that his kid has been picked up by the scent, 
of the witches says, hey, let's just go back to my home in England and spend some time there. Also, she ends up with, uh, is it diabetes? Is that what she is? She gets di- she gets uh, she gets pre diabetes. Basically, yeah. they tell her it's treatable if she takes care of herself for a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, and like which I think means she's pre diabetic but not yeah. full diabetic. Much like the way they try to cure Beth and Little Women, this is the way they try to cure all timeies. Go out to the ocean air. Um, this is before they had medicine, I guess. Uh, uh, but yeah, so they she's like, you know, what would be good for me if I go out to the ocean air. I air. I know that this hotel. That is the first 25 minutes. That's the first third of this movie. They get to the hotel. And while um, there is a while, there's a convention at the hotel, but they still go, called the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruel, Cruelty to Children, which is witches who want to kill children. Peter, it was impossible not to watch this movie in the year of our Lord, 2023, and think of all those fucking Republican acts to keep children safe that are designed ultimately to hurt any children, any child that doesn't follow their specific things quite a lot, whether it's uh, basically non-white children raised by cis straight adults. And it's impossible not to go, oh, yeah, Republicans and conservatives are doing the same thing as the witches in the book, The Witches. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what every anti-trans bill currently yeah. is, is like... Protect children. We're... Gonna, we're who? We're protecting the children. We're protecting the children. But in reality, all you're doing is very specifically targeting yeah, a dude. specific subset of children. Yeah. Uh, and they are uh, they are promoting cruelty to children. Uh, so Rowan Atkinson, let's talk about this. He is the, um, he is the uh, manager of the hotel. So here's the thing about Rowan Atkinson. Like I said, at one point he gets caught fucking the maid in this movie. It's important to let kids know early that Ron Atkinson is a sexual being. He's a human, mm-hmm. human sexual being, and he needs to have. Listen, sex. you may run into a Mister Bean at some point in your life, and if you're like the comedian James Acaster, he may steal your wife. It yeah. happens. Yes. Um, here's the thing. I want to He's Mister Steelio Girl. <laughs> He's also Mister Steelio Turkey. <laughs> Mister Steelio Girl. You so, will know he's stealing your turkey, however, because it'll be on his head. So. I can't talk about Mr. Bean without talking about a couple of things. One, before Mr. Bean, he was on a show, Black Adder, which I've never seen, but I know people love. Um, it ran for six years, produced 24 episodes, because British television is hilarious. Uh, six years, big hit. We got like 24 in us. <laughs> When you stop for tea time and then after tea time you're yeah. still sleepy because it wasn't coffee time, you just don't so, go back for the rest so of the day. Miss, so here's the thing. Mr. Bean... The first episode of that, because Rowan Atkinson's – he does The Witches in 1990. Mr. Bean also premieres in 1990. It was the most watched like sitcom premiere on the BBC at the time by 20-some million people. Huge. Absolutely huge. Um, 20 million people I think is every single person that is on the island of Great Britain. <laughs> Uh, they all tuned in to watch this Rowan Atkinson to debut his new character, Mr. Bean, and the next episodes were just as popular. This show ran for five years. How many episodes do you think there were? Oh, Jesus. Five years. Seventy? Fifteen. <laughs> Mr. Bean, the international cultural phenomenon, which ran for five years before they graduated to the big, big screen, produced fifteen total episodes. Now, 
which is the funniest possible. They didn't even get in three. Oh, were six- they not even? Was this a Columbo thing where they're not even putting them out on, like, a normal cadence? They're like, eh, I guess here's another Columbo. I have no idea. It ran for three seasons. Of, they, like, most British television shows, the thing about, like, Black Adder is, like, you get six seasons. Six so episodes. Six episodes. They did three. F- it's like, they're like, this is huge. How can we make it shorter? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. Little fi- Island. Uh, Little Island. Uh, but they were on to something. It is. It is. Every it is. time, every time I'm like, I'm gonna watch all the X Files episodes. I'm like, wait, there's how many? Well, I'm not saying there's there's not a balance between our two countries. We clearly, as a, as cultures and our TV production went in completely opposite uh, directions. But in the same way, we went to opposite directions on you know the T tax, but um, uh, and the stamp. Act. Get him, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, but I think the the hilarity of like. If there was a sitcom that premiered, it's the biggest sitcom of all time in the United States. They're like, do a super side season. We're going to cancel something else. We're going to do five extra episodes in this. They're like, slow it down. <laughs> They're like, let's do as little as possible over the longest possible time. Uh, it's it's a hilarious number. It always makes me laugh when I see that. And I I literally laughed out loud when I saw the answer was 15 for how many beans were produced. Um, now, I, <laughs> that's, I... That's not even... If I got a can of beans yeah. and there were only 15 in there, sir, I would go back to the grocery store. Doesn't take you five years to eat it. Here's the other thing. I've never seen an episode of... I've seen Ms. one. Mr. Bean. I've never seen an episode. I've seen one. I, I want to tell you, embarrassingly, I watched it with my brother and we were watching... We watched... It was Mr. Bean's Christmas special holiday special whatever uh we watched so many of these christmas specials yeah and i did this like two or three years ago with him and i was like oh this is on hulu or whatever yeah it's buried somewhere and we we put it on and we're watching it and we're like this is grim i'm not sure if we can make it through this and then something clicked in my head about 15 17 minutes in where i was like okay this is actually really funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's called stock. I think it's called so the turkey sequence is from the movie too. I don't know. It's all it, it's it was in the show originally. Okay. Um, I have never seen an episode of Mr. Bean. I do think what you're describing is Stockholm syndrome. I did watch the Bean movie, which is just called Bean. Uh, it's it, Mr. Bean if you're nasty on the TV show, but for the movie, <laughs> they just did Bean, which is a very bizarre title change. I saw it in theaters. I was 13 years old. It was a PG-13 movie. I think I like – it was a, you know, a comedy. I was so primed. I remember who I saw it was my friend Nathan Vuitton. We didn't laugh once in 90 minutes. <laughs> I just remember staring and like not – like legitimately not understanding – like, I felt like I was watching a Mr. Magoo or something. Like, I was watching something for a two-year-old that somehow was rated PG-13. And the character didn't talk. Like, there was nothing in there, like, a swear word. He makes a little... He makes a little... Yeah. I, like, again, I've never seen an episode of the show. I have to imagine. I cannot imagine that the show is good. Maybe I'll give it a try at some point. Maybe we do a we we spend eight years doing all fifteen episodes of Mr. Bean. Who knows? But I start Bean. If if you yeah start Bean. Uh, I bean, call it making coffee. Hold on. How about Bean there? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
now we gotta do it. Once you get a good name, you gotta do the podcast. That's, that's mm-hmm. the rule. Anyways, uh, he is he's fine in this movie. He's not in that much, but uh, someone needs to explain Mr. Bean to me. Please not through any messages or <laughs> dialogue. Just imprinted in time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have seen some Bean content, uh, not enough to defend him, unfortunately. I would love to have a rousing discourse about Mr. Bean. Tonight is not the night Does Rowan it. Atkinson is in this movie. He is... He's banned in it. Nah, he, he, he doesn't really get a lot of actual jokes. He just gets to... He just, he just, just, gets to he's, just, just he's just of the like, manager he's a frustra- of... A- He's frustrated. He's a frustrated manager, major D. He, he, whatever role in the hotel needs to be filled. <laughs> to what I to what I think is a reasonable frustration, uh, Luke brings his pet mouse to the hotel and it keeps getting out. I, for what it's worth, like I'm not saying that they're handling it well. They don't know what this kid's been through. All the other things that come from it. I think it's reasonable to not want a mouse, a pet mouse, loose in your hotel. That's just my. I think any animal that you bring to a hotel should stay in your room. I don't think you should just let it loose. I don't care mm-hmm. if it's a bird. Cat. I love I love all those animals. I, I guess I probably wouldn't have the pet mouse. Um, An elk? I think, yeah, I think elks can run free. Let them, let, they need space. But I think a mice has, they live in their home. I don't get it. Anyways. Yeah. So, um, they, there's a, they meet uh, this other kid named Bruno Jenkins, or more specifically, the lead witch played by Angelico Houston as the Grand High Witch. Uh, by the way, who, I think Bruno's hilarious. Yeah. Who looks like Angelico Houston uh, for most of the movie. Um, but they are here to announce they have an annual convention about how they're going to kill more kids. Great, great convention they have at this hotel. And their newest thing, which she's going to lead to, is she gives Bruno chocolate. And she says, hey, I have six more chocolate bars. Meet me in the conference hall at this time. They go into the conference hall. Uh, Luke is there hiding behind the podium because the mouse got loose. And now he's kind of stuck there. He doesn't want to get caught with the mouse because he's already gotten in trouble. And this is like one of the big scary scenes that everyone talks about, rightfully so. So they take off their human past and they reveal themselves as witches. Most of them look like bald men when they do this because they're hairless. All those things are wigs and everything else. Part of the reason they look like bald men is that most of the cast is men. Michael Palin's one of them. They thought it was creepier to make them look uh, less like their beautiful selves when they have all their stuff on. So they used uh, uh, cis men instead of cis women for the most part. Um, and uh, But the Grand High Witch is like in this amazing, like almost like half dark crystal uh, uh, Jim Henson get up, right? She is terrifying the way she rips off her skin and everything else is is freaky she is like an old hag in the truest like witchiest sense of the word and she it's that is the scene that my daughter was like i'm out and i know that's one of the scenes that people like angelically houston realistically ripping off her face to reveal the monster underneath terrifying yeah it is it is extremely terrifying the scariest part is the habsy point right like once she gets the mask off and it's you know bright uh, fluorescent light of a of a of a uh, you know convention hall, um, the terror has a little bit of time to wind down and be less scary. Mm-hmm. But the shot where Angelica Houston just has half her face torn off is genuinely uncomfortable to look at for me as an adult. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, um, it is. Creepy I've seen and... martyrs, and this is too much for me. Yeah. Uh, well, I think this is more gory than Martyrs. Martyrs famously has little gore. Um, <laughs> um, but so uh, they are like, obviously, Luke is like, holy shit. Now I got to be extra quiet. 
she announces their plan. She kind of like does the. There's a lot. There's like 15 minutes. It's all really good. Angelica Houston is obviously great in this. She's great in everything. But there's a lot of like kind of asking the crowd to throw out their ideas and their thoughts of how to kill more kids. And when they whatever they say, she's like, "You're an idiot." That's why I'm the Grand High Witch. Like it's a fun scene. There's not that much to talk about. It's just kind of her getting one all pumped up for her plan. Her plan. Yeah, Angelica even- Houston does have a really fun performance. She has a weird accent that I can't quite place. Yeah. German. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's encouraged by Nicholas Rogue to play everything sexually. Yeah. Whether she's in the six hours of makeup or she's just in her tight little black dress. Yeah. And Nicholas Rogue, like, really wanted her to play the, like, character as sexually and powerful and stuff. And then most of the other witches are kind of... Meek. Meek. Mal- they're old. They're 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 like old ladies. Yeah, essentially, they're they're not supposed to be like uh, young and virile and sexual. And Angelica Houston is every shot she gets to be hot. Um, but when she's in her six hours of makeup, six hours to put it on, six hours to take it off. Um, and she apparently fucking hated it, and she I'm can sure. barely breathe in there. Um, apparently the green gas that comes out like fucks with her contacts, and they yeah. had to like wash her eyes out with water. Like, could you imagine? Um. And uh, she was encouraged. To, so there's shots of her in her full witch form. And she's still, like, sensually ch- touching her breasts and stuff. Yeah. And, like, like uh, feeling her body and using her nails. And, like, yeah. she's playing the character in a very similar manner. It's just yeah. that now she's... She's, like, trying to fuck her son in grifters all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's great, though. Um, but she announces her plan because she's like, look, you guys are idiots. We can't just go kill kids. We're going to get caught. So what I've done is I've inv- – and she she kind of waits for Bruno to come in and is like, I'm going to show you what my plan is. And she's like, here – he Bruno's great. He walks in, not completely nonplussed by there's a whole group of women having a convention. He's like, where's my chocolate? And she's like, wait. Why do I have to wait? Why do you have a clock? Like Bruno's very funny in this movie. Uh, he's supposed to be annoying, but he's but he's actually just a funny normal kid who he's was, a was funny, prom- weird little kid who just promised chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but again, that's that is an example of like uh, even though I think Bruno is very funny and he's very charming in this movie. Uh, if you read the book, Roald Dahl does not like Bruno. He is has all his worst qualities, and you can know because they made him a uh, overweight kid who likes chocolates. That's he's how you know. Got an Augustus Gloop. That's how you know Roald Dahl doesn't like the character that he's talking about. Um, but anyways, uh, so he, yeah, so he, the chocolate that he gave him was time to turn him into hours later so that it's not immediate and they don't get caught to turn him into a mouse. This is our first mouse transformation. We will not, we will get more. It is terrifying. This kid, like, green fog comes out of his face. His his body starts mutating in bizarre, almost impossible to follow waves. The mouse transformations are terrifying in a way that's hard to describe, but it looks like people first turning into a Chuck E. Cheese mouse in a realistic fashion. Like it's really happening before eventually becoming a real mice mouse. I the think re- that my closest comparison stylistically I can make to this movie is um, maybe Troll 2. But um, in terms of stylistic comparison, that's a, n- a nice thing to say. I would say Peter Jackson's bad taste. Yeah. Um. Just gloopy, green goo, handheld camera work. Well, and then Um, they're shaking violently while it's happening and letting out terrible squeaks and screams. And the camera's right. Yeah, the the camera's right in your face. 
It is so Full terrifying. alien meltdown, prosthetic yeah. faces, prosthetic masks, like the aesthetic of this. And it's also, it very much, like, it's almost of the same era as Peter Jackson's um, Bad Taste. It feels like a cousin to that movie, even though that movie is obviously, like, leaning more into the, the schlock. Yeah. It's great. Um, uh, Luke can't help but make a noise. He gets caught. They catch him. After this little tra- chase where, like, Angelica Houston's like, hey, you know how we can catch Luke? Is Luke is a good kid. So if I push this baby in a stroller, Luke will go and try to save the baby stroller and we'll capture him. And they do that. And they turn Luke into a mouse as well. And now you have your halfway through the movie and you essentially have them as mice. And now they're dealing with a couple things. One, they're, the big problem with the High Witch's plan is that, yes, they turn them into mice. They seem to have – they lose Bruno immediately too. They seem to have no plan for catching the mice after – I think they're like kind of they, – they talk about this like mice will get killed because people hate mice and mice traps. So we turn the kids into mice. We take Bruno a, also almost immediately walks into a mouse trap in about 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they're not wrong about that, but there is like I do feel like if you know you're gonna turn this this big child or child, it's bigger than a mouse into a tiny mouse, and then you want to immediately kill the mouse, you need a better way to catch them. Because they, they lose these mice constantly. But anyways. I think the idea is they all go home. And then they disappear into the walls or whatever, and they're too scared of their parents to, like, figure it out. And their parents can't figure it out. Yeah, so they can still talk. They're still themselves. The mice they didn't know they were going to be able to talk. Yeah, the mice animation is very cute. It's Um, adorable. It's it's great, like, almost Stuart Little, or like the... Not Stuart Little. What was the 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 mouse and the motorcycle like uh, Beverly Cleary stuff, but obviously with Jim Henson. um, Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so they immediately go to the grandma, and the grandma's like, oh, yeah, you've these witches. They got you. And then finds out it's the same witch that uh, vexed her as a kid and put her friend into the, the painting. And so she's like, they kind of know each other because the high witch never forgets uh, this. Um, Helga, because she's good, tries to go and introduce uh, Bruno's parents, the Jenkins, to um, to their son um and let him know like hey your parents need to know that you're not missing you've just been turned into a mouse i love what a lunatic that she comes like in if in the event that helga is incorrect the the way that she comes off to the jenga's parents over and over is first is like i have your son in my purse he's been turned into a mouse and then they're like what a crazy lady and then later in the movie at the soup scene which is the big finale she just comes up and knocks the soup out of his out of his hand and that he's been she fighting. She takes the direct approach. Yeah, but I just love, like, if you are Mr. Jenkins, I know our perspective is supposed to be on Helga because those the, the whole point is their parents are awful and don't want their kids under... If their kid's a mouse, never mind. We don't need them anymore. But I do think it's somewhat reasonable if a lady came up to me and said, hey, I have your kid. It's a mouse and it's in my purse. I would be like, get away from me. And then if later that day that same lady came and knocked what I was eating on the floor so I couldn't eat it, I would be like, what the fuck is wrong with this lady? Um, and why has she not been removed from yeah. the hotel yet? Why is this happening? I I, uh, I, I have to just reiterate. Um, the best performance in the movie – <clears throat> um and the 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 piece of uh you know uh, performance that i i th- i find most impressive is 
obviously the grandmother. She's I do too. so good. So good. At, like Angelica Houston's know. doing the more fun thing, but I think it's also like I'm not look, I'm not a professional actor. I don't know what's easier or not easier. I think there's a reason why all of these great actors like Angelica Houston love to go in these kid movies and play villains and just ham the fuck out of it. And she's doing that. And it's great. Like you said, she has a weird, unplaceable accent. She is rubbing herself constantly. I, besides the prosthetics, I'm sure she had a blast doing this. But that being a campy villain is an easier job, I think, than being a like a sad old caring grandma who's trying to protect her mice and also yes. constantly do the right thing. So I agree with you. It's she's great. Um so they pretty f- they're like, "Hey, we have to However, I don't think she would be in do the right thing. Uh no. Um so they they again, it goes pretty quickly from that to like, "Hey, we also it's actually a bigger problem that we're mice. We overheard her plan. She's going to take this chocolate and give it to all the kids in England. They're going to eat it cuz kids uh, spoiler alert for your kid, love chocolate. Um, and they, uh, they'll all turn into mice. So they're like, we have to stop them. And their plan is a good one. They steal the, through a little hotel room heist, uh, they steal the potion and they're going to put it in this special soup that only the witches are getting as their dinner crest soup, which is their favorite. No one else gets to eat it. So they're like, we can give them this poison. We're going to turn all the witches into rat mice and it'll be fine. They also discover that the High Witch is rich as shit. Uh, probably from a lot of thousands of years of witch-paying dues. She has a chest full of money that they find through this heist when they steal it as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's um, They're setting up like the ending of the movie also yeah. right now. It's very easy to miss. Um, but uh, the important part here is that the witches are at the hotel. I think no one's on to the plan. And uh, the, they have no idea how to turn back from being mice because the movie wasn't being directed like that. They weren't setting any of that up. The movie wasn't scripted that way. Um, so the, right now their their goal has not shifted to how do we get back? Their goal has shifted to we need to accept the reality that we're in. And that reality uh, will include a lot of dead kids if we don't uh, yeah. kill these witches. Yeah, they don't. And and again, that's why Luke is such a like a, a a normal role doll. Where like the the he's almost impossibly good, like a Matilda or a Charlie Bucket. He's right? unflappable. He's like, Despite hey, I I need to do the right thing. Yep. So uh, yeah, so that's what they do. They successfully. There's a fun like mice ch- mouse chase in the kitchen, but they do get the potion into the soup. Um, again, uh, there's other people that are like, why can't I get that soup? Which feels very true to like rich middle-aged, like white people. Probably they're staying at the country. Why don't I own this? There's soup that I can't have? Unacceptable. Give me that soup. But ultimately this sets up like what's, this is literally like, I think if you were to put like the concept of a movie going to the fireworks factory, I think you could like this movie is, has a lot of great moments. It is brief. It gets to where it's going. And then it does the last 10 minutes of this movie, which is essentially every single one of the witches being loudly and systematically fucking Cronenbergian changed into mice. So the little taste we got with Bruno is repeated over and over in goopier, more terrifying, uh, more devastating screams up until the high witch who like fucking explodes by the end of it. Like it is... It truly is, without Jim Henson and Roald Dahl's name attached to this movie, 
And this movie came out six years after the PG-13. Like, there's tons of movies rated PG-13. It is, well, it's a Henson production. These are technically Muppets. But this is a, this is terrifying. Like, it is creepy. It is unnerving. It is, it is going to the fireworks factory. And in this case, the fireworks have been put into human beings. And as they explode, they explode into grotesque mouse creatures. It's like an, yeah, it's like an orgy of freakishness. Yeah. Um, the ending of society yeah. and this are different scales, but it's the same, like, intensity and drawn outness. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 um, just an entire room full of people. Turn it into um, goop. Having an absolute physical meltdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, I mean, this scene, the, they ratchet up the intensity again and again and again with the scene. There's all the, the tenseness about whether or not they're going to get the poison in there. Um, once they do get the poison in there, you know, the Formula 86 that turns people into mice. Um, once they do that, um, there's a scene where a, one of the witches that was working in the kitchen, I guess, ran out to tell. Yeah. And oh, I love that part. Not, yeah. Don't eat the soup. Don't eat the soup. soup. Yeah. And she stomps it into green goo. Yeah. Like, um, already off to a a, a shaky start for a lot of kids that love the cute little animals. Then there's an entire sequence of all of these people melting down, turning into mice, and then the mice being horrifically chopped up, thrown across the room, brutalized. Like, and it's a movie where it's like, you are supposed to think mice are cute. The yeah. movie spent a good amount of time mm-hmm. convincing you mice are cute. The prosthetics for the little um, mouse versions of the kids are adorable. They even meet regular mice who are, you know, quote unquote, performing in, in a sequence. Yeah. And you're like, all of them are so cute. The reason I don't like mice is because they're pests and they shit in your house all over the place and they'll get you sick. Like that that's that's yeah. that's why I don't like mice. They I think they're cute, personally. Yeah. Um but they're disruptive. Get, get your own house. Your, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're disruptive. Go live in nature. Being, they they can live under my house as long as they don't come in the house. I don't care. Do what you want down there. There's a lot of space. Um But um the the the, the, it's a very strange dichotomy and why this feels so chaotic is like it's a movie that spends a little bit of time being like here's some mice and a segment of the audience is going to be like mice are gross or mm-hmm. mice are terrifying or what have you or or the kid thing which is like I like mice but they scare old people so yeah. shh, don't tell them yeah. um, it has all of that in there and then um, they're like okay um, the threat of the movie is that you're going to be turned into a mouse and you're like, okay, I guess that's, you know, pretty scary. I would hate to be turned into a mouse. Um, and then they're like, you know what though? We're going to turn this back on the witches. And then there's just an entire scene of mice getting slaughtered. I know. Rowan Atkinson walks up to them at one point holding a cleaver with blood yeah. all over it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's brutal. Like I, I am, I can't believe this got a PG rating. It, 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 but it also like, it's. There's enough. I think I, I don't know. I can't. We to get back to me. This is kind of a good place to start to get to the ending here. Like to get back to the like, is this appropriate for kids? I'd have a like. I'm not surprised. You mentioned a 13 year old niece who had trouble with horror movies that didn't really want to watch this movie or something like that. Like I think off they, reputation, off a reputation. I mean, 
I think when you first watch this movie, you think the reputation is based on the Angelica Houston reveal, which is scary. But you're like, oh, okay, it's gross, but it's scary. And then you see the ending of this movie and you're like, just what the fuck is this? How did this movie come out? How did this get made? Like, I think you, if you know it by reputation, you have a different expectation for what the traumatizing moment is. And maybe people are talking about the Angelica Houston thing. And then as a kid, they turned it off like my five-year-old who's too scared. It is surprising how visceral and disturbing the last 10 minutes are and fantastic. Like just the kind of thing that is, again, they get away. They, it does feel like they got away with one because it was Jim Henson and it was a rolled doll and it's a kid movie adaptation. But yeah, Nick, the, the idea that he cut out a bunch of stuff that scared his own seven year old or eight year old is hilarious to me. I'd love to see that cut because it's like, what? It's more to something wicked this way comes. We'll talk about like, there is a director's cut or something of this movie out no. there that I would love to see. Love to but see. Will probably never happen because, well, neither of them was financially successful. But will probably never happen because who is going to make a unrated director's cut of a children's movie? You just got to put it on two discs. But like, go go release the two disc. I mean, you say that, but Tammy and the T Rex got its R rated cut release. So you just that is you never that know. is true. That is true. One of that one of these movies though is hidden in the you know Disney archives, the Disney vault. Um, which I think is a big blocker. I mean, this movie, I don't know. I think the problem with this one ever being released like that is that it's, while the, the original ending obviously exists somewhere and they could put that on a different cut, like this, the director chose all this stuff, right? And he didn't necessarily this make- This is the director's cut. This is the director's cut. He didn't necessarily make an adult cut and then cut it down more. He, as he was ending the movie, used his son as a barometer for what was too scary and what wasn't too scary. So yeah. it's not like there's a definitive version and then it was taken to a hatchet by Studio Man or even by Nicholas Rowe because he's like, oh, I gotta take out all this stuff. It just seemed to be part of his editing process. So anyone who would try to assemble it you, there's not, there's likely not a work print version that like exists through that. But anyways, it's fantastic. We kind of already talked about the ending. It really gets to that ending quick after that. Uh, the grandma's taking care of uh, Bruno Jenkins being um, uh, rejected by his family. Um, uh, is is there with uh, was there with Luke, and they're just playing on this awesome Lego set that they've also like they ran out of Legos, but they also got the chest from the high witch so they also are just using money stacks of money to balance out the parts where they ran out of legos for their lego train set uh, and they talk about that they're going to go to america they have the uh the book from the witch this is in the book too of like all where all the witches live so they are going to become basically like um witch hunters witch hunters which would be a great great sequel especially a great the, setup for a sequel yeah especially if they stay if he stayed a mouse live off their last years as witch hunters um, but uh, yeah, instead, the one and a mouse have to figure out a way to to stop witches in America. Yeah, but instead, the one witch who did not die and who was dicked around a little bit by Angelica Houston shows up in a car, waves her magic finger. They turn back into humans, and credits roll. I do. Um, I do think it's the one thing holding it back from being a perfect movie. I agree. Uh, it it feels to... sudden. It feels off. Um, I much better for watching it with children. It does end on a happy note where they they don't remain in a perpetual state of of being mice, but like as an adult watching it, it's like, oh, you could have done the original ending that. You don't need to say you're going to die in 2 years. You can leave them with 
we're gonna be we're gonna be mice and grandma for a little bit and apply it to older adults, but. You know, it's uh, yeah. The ending is is bizarre. The rest of it is. It seems is like great. his life's pretty cool. Hangs out with grandma, rides in a train all day. No. Like you know, yeah. Until he reaches like the age that also concerned the parents from Dogtooth. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, my mouse grandson reached sex my sexual maturity. Why don't you and Bruno go explore your bodies? And then you have to ask ethical questions about whether or not this child can mate with one of the wild mice around the, the the farm and such because like like do they have the intellectual capacity that he has i don't know i do i mean that's a speech or is he as smart as they i don't know Ro- roald Dahl didn't get into it in the movie although he as far as i know he would have wanted to because it sounds like it is like if the whole thing is that now that he's a mouse he has a different lifespan technically even though he talks like a child technically he's a he's a middle-aged mo- mouse he's not an just in the mouse. weeks it took for them to get there he's fully yes. mature yeah so he's got i mean he's got a couple things going on one he's a he's he reckon he's reckoning with being a mo- mouse for the rest of his life also he went through puberty way earlier than he was expecting in a mouse body so there, i mean there's just a lot going on they don't get into but definitely worth exploring he doesn't have to deal with it because a lady shot a Green Lantern ring into a window. Yeah, thank, thankfully you don't have to have the conversation with your kids about what age mice reach sexual maturity because a lady <laughs> threw a stained glass window through through a potion maker and and saved them. So I, yeah, I want to I want to know really quickly one thing. Yeah. Um, since I'm the youngest of four, I had a lot of hand-me-down toys, which means I had an excellent Lego collection yeah, growing up because I got three older kids worth of Legos. Mm-hmm. Um. And I had a Lego train set and that rocket ship, um, or versions of that rocket ship. I had oh, all I did the pieces, too. I, you see. I had some of the rocket ship stuff, yeah. Yeah. And uh, also, when did you notice what, what structure he's sleeping in? Uh, I did, but I forgot to write it down. Remind me. It is a Ghostbusters firehouse, plastic firehouse, which is something that I had as a kid because my brother had when he was a kid. And it was one of those things that, like... Yeah. I didn't have I it, but my, I knew my, I knew friends that had it. It was amazing. My dad, I guess, had some trouble getting it or whatever when my brother was a kid, and then it went down the line to to me eventually. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, yes, I uh, I had that that train set, and I had all that. And it was very surreal as a kid to watch this movie, um, and also love animals and have a hamster yeah. and stuff, and then be like, be like. Oh, I guess my hamster could leave and live in the Ghostbusters firehouse that I have in my house. <laughs> could he hunt ghosts or maybe witches? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's really great. I think it's a perfect way to kick off the month. It is a great, like, again, if you have a kid who um, could handle some really gloopy, gloppy uh, stuff, uh, it's a really good one for them. It's, it's you know, yeah. it, it does all the things that Roll Doll does well in a nice little horror, kids horror movie. Uh, next week we'll be doing probably the uh, by the best movie that we're covering this month. I don't feel ashamed saying that. Probably one of the the best animated movies I've ever seen, and just generally like one of the best, which yeah. is uh, Coraline by Henry Selick, uh, based on the book by Neil Gaiman. The movie's so good that uh, I saw a recent uh, Twitter post from Neil Gaiman where he talked about like of his books and his stuff that has been adapted. He's like, read this book, read this book. Don't read my Coraline book if you only have to choose one. Go watch 
uh, go watch the movie. It's it's perfect. And I, I'm not going to disagree with Neil Gaiman, who wrote the book. And I've also read the book, too. So we can talk a little bit about that uh, next week on We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>